0: This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Fly Racing.
1: Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass Podcast presented by Fly Racing. Steve English and David Emmett here on a Ducati special of the Paddock Pass Podcast. And David, we're going to hear from Jack Miller. We're going to hear from Peko Bagnaya ahead of the 2021 season. But before we hear from both riders, what's your expectation for Ducati with this new factory rider lineup?
0: I mean, you know, they have clearly chosen for uh, youth. They got rid of two uh, older and much more experienced riders and, and they're all in on uh, sort of young riders. You see that also with their choice of uh, the rookies who have entered, you know, with Luca Marini and uh, Bastianini, Jorge Martín. Um, so, you know, this is this is what they think. They think they need. Uh, riders who have almost like grown up on a Ducati, who've, who've spent most of their career on a Ducati and not known anything else um to try to make that step to actually winning the championship. So, I mean, expectations, I think, are quite high. Um They, they need, certainly Jack Miller has to try to win the championship. And Pekka Banyaya has to win races, or at least look like he's, you know, capable of winning races. I so did that to an extent last year, uh, but they they just have to be they have to be a factor to be reckoned with in the championship this year.
1: Is it a worry for Ducati Dave, or a good thing that uh, we saw last year that John Mir could win the championship with only one race win? Because obviously, across all the Ducati riders, they've got one premier class race win between them.
0: I am um, well apparently that's enough to win a championship Steve um, so yeah I think it's more it's such an open championship it's such a competitive championship there are no uh, there are literally no bad riders in MotoGP anymore. I mean, you know, the slowest rider is, um, or certainly by the end of the year, you we are going to be end up with the entire field being covered by less than a second. You know, 22 riders by less than a second. Um, so the margins are so, so incredibly um, small that um, just consistency is what's going to win championship the same way it did last year. And uh, uh, I think that, actually opens up opportunities rather than closing them down.
1: Yeah, we're going to hear from Jack Miller in just a second, David. And you were talking there about the consistency and different things. We're obviously going to talk to Jack a little bit about the progression that he's had. He's changed over the course of the last few years. He's really got a very mature outlook. He definitely isn't the highs and lows that he was in the past. He's all about trying to make sure that week in week out he's able just to get that right result. And I think that what we saw from him at the opening test of the year in Qatar was that approach really coming to the fore. He's not looking at it that there's extra pressure by being a factory Ducati rider. He's looking at it like this is an opportunity for him and he doesn't want to doesn't want to leave any stone unturned.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been a fairly long sort of path in MotoGP to the factory, uh, to the factory team, but I think every step of the way, it's been extremely uh, valuable. You know, he came in off the back of the, uh, uh, of of the Moto3 championship, Um, and, he struggled at first obviously it was not a fantastic bike but he was sort of uh, he was a bit out of shape when he turned up he was not um uh, i don't th- i think he was a bit surprised by sort of the, the the competitiveness of the championship but that really sort of shook him up he was young uh, he grew he got he was taken under the wing of uh, cal crutchlow obviously um one of my um, uh, most amusing memories from that year was um uh I think we were staying um just sort of west of uh, uh, Chester the, the the Valencia circuit and we were taking the little back road in. And just as we came in, uh, we got caught up behind uh, Jack Miller on a bicycle, and Jack Miller was sort of all out, desperately trying to keep up with the uh, with the guys he was riding with. But you could sort of see this real determination in his face, like "I am not going to get dropped. I am not going to get dropped." And that was like uh, that was like okay, yeah, yeah. This is this is the step that he needed to make that year, and you've seen that since then. Um uh, you know every year getting getting better and better last year coming so close to a win last year frankly by the end of the season looking perhaps the best Ducati rider so um yeah it's been it's been an interesting journey it's the journey for Jack Miller is really the the story of his career and what makes him such an interesting and strong rider
1: Yeah, I always find it interesting whenever riders talk about going out cycling with Cal and it doesn't matter whether they're World Superbike riders or MotoGP riders, they say that they've all got that same thing where they know Cal is just trying to break them (laughs) and they just dig in and they try their best to stick on with it. And obviously, Jack, we saw through the course of that season, he really did progress into being a world-class athlete in the course of his rookie campaign. And he brought that forward then over the next few years. And we're going to get the chance to listen to what Jack has to say and obviously we're going to talk quite a bit about those formative years because for us it's always interesting to see where riders come from it's always interesting especially at this part of the year to sort of lay the foundations for the stories that are going to be told through the course of the season and it's always easy just to look at the testing times it's always easy just to look at the race results but there's always a lot more to it and uh, Jack's going to dive into some of those early years of his career now with myself yourself and also Neil Morrison joining us. Jack Miller joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And, uh, Jack, you're over in Qatar just getting ready for the final pre-season test. And it's been pretty busy already. You've had two days testing and uh, now another three days coming up.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's been uh, pretty full on. A lot of laps will be done around, uh, around the circuit by the time they get done, you know, with the, uh, the shake-down test and now the odor test and then, you know, two grand three. So uh, there'll be a lot of rubber down by the second time. Uh, Second time around, that's for certain, but uh, not feeling uh, pretty good, you know, adapted to the to the bike and the team relatively quick and yeah, feeling uh, pretty happy.
1: Well, adapting to the teams one of the biggest things for all of our listeners that they're interested in, because obviously for a rider like you, you've been in MotoGP since 2015. You came in as a factory Honda rider. There was a lot of expectation. I think a lot of people thought that this moment probably would have come a little bit sooner for you.
2: Yeah. Like you say, coming in um, on the on the Honda contract, I think, um, you know, I was there for three years. Um, nothing really came about. You know, I learned a lot in those three years, though. But, uh, yeah, like you said, nothing really sort of came out about that. So, uh, you know, I really had my uh, my second go at things or my second lap at, uh, once I stepped over to the Ducati and took on the role on the older machine and then worked my way up to the, the current model machine and then now into the factory machine. So it's been a, a longer process than like you say we would have liked, but um but uh nah, we're here now that's the main thing. And uh also working with Ducati already you know the last couple of seasons. Um uh, I already sort of know how things go on over here and uh also knew you know knew I knew a lot of the guys already from that uh from the, the red side of the garage.
0: Uh, Jack, obviously you were, um, uh, you you came into MotoGP very young. um, And those sort of three years you, I mean, I think you had to grow up quite fast uh, thanks to that, especially the the first year was quite difficult. Um, Do you think you sort of would have done better to stay in Moto2, uh, Moto3 and and, uh, become more mature? Or do you think that the process of of learning and growing was was easier in MotoGP?
2: I think, you know, hindsight's one of those things. Who knows um, whether I'd even have got to Mata GP or whatever. You know, I I feel it, you know, in my heart of hearts that I would have anyway. But, uh, you know, this was my route. That was what was presented to me. I, I sort of, you know, um, I kind of believe in the power of positive thinking. And I always wanted to sort of do that step, you know, after McCoy had done it. Uh, you know, in the in in the late '90s, stepped directly from a 125 to a 500. I was like, oh, we would really love to do that on a in the modern era. So uh, I was able to to do that. And, yeah, the first year wasn't ideal. Um, but in saying that, you know, I've said this a few times over. You know, a lot of people look back at that first season and think, oh, you know, he did shit or whatever. But in all fairness to myself, I. Uh, you know, I had a ex-world champion of Nicky Hayden on the same machine. I had Eugene Navity, a World Superbike winner. Uh, Abraham, multiple seasons. And I was a fresh kid from Moto3 and I beat them all in the championship. So, I mean, uh, say what you will about that first season on the same machine. So, uh, you know, the bike definitely wasn't what we expected. Uh, open Honda. And then even for the next two seasons, I mean, you look at what that... Uh, you know, Australia bike did not that any of your body at the market. Yes, weren't trying hard enough. You know, they were trying everything they could, but with the support we were getting, it just wasn't up to scratch. With uh, the way the MotoGP was developing, you look at like what happened with Tito there. You know, yeah, he didn't find his feet either with the Ducati, but he was really struggling there. Same with Tom. Same with Frankie. You know, we all struggled there. So um, it was a different route, that's for certain um you know something some sometimes it looked uh, like pretty grim i would but uh i was able to find my feet uh in the third season and when i stepped across the caddy just continued the the trend up
3: jack it's interesting that you mentioned those early experiences that you had in Model gp i think um when you shot to most of our attention it was when you were on that um um, that little honda in modo 3 back in 2012 and 2013 which clearly didn't quite have the the power of the the ktms at the time um, i mean how how important is it to have those experiences when you're on machinery that maybe isn't quite uh, at the highest level and and what does it teach you um, going forward well it's
2: been the the story of my career to be honest i mean uh dating back to when i came across from australia we We came with our stock standard Honda 125s. My dad built a trailer and put them in that, and that was my bike for the first season. We went and took on Spanish championship and German championship with standard Hondas that you could buy off the shower and floor. But the biggest thing was just me getting mileage on the bike, learning how to ride a road bike, let's say. Um, And then, yeah, uh, the first season wasn't that great. I mean, I had a couple of good wet weather showings, but that's about all I could do with that. That machine, you know, I really uh, spent the majority of the time of the year on the, on the dirt. I was on the same bike they're using now for uh, the Asia Talent Cup and British Talent Cup and all that. That was my first Grand Prix bike. So uh, the next season when we had the FTR and we could actually adjust some things and uh, had a decent team around us, I was immediately there and fighting for podiums even though we didn't have the power. At least I could do what I wanted with the bike and I think it really taught me how to I factored that year down to I had a great crew chief uh, who knew I was young, knew I was fresh and had to teach me a lot of things uh, in terms of setting up the bike and, you know, giving him feedback and and that sort of thing. So I really was a a sponge that year and I really tried to take on board everything he taught me because he was a a really wise guy. And, um, and, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, going to the factory team, finally having some horsepower under me and working with the, guys like aki and patrick over there at the Rebel kdm was like a dream come true to me for me if after that season you know if i had to retire i would have been happy i would have gone away from racing happy semi-happy i didn't look very happy in glansky but uh, i was happy <laughs> looking back on it now you know um because like, uh, coming into the season hadn't had a podium a had a people force being close But I've never been on the podium and then first race out with the factory team we won here in Qatar and then we won in Texas and then we should have won in Argentina so we started off pretty strong.
1: Just to take it back to now then as well Jack, this does seem like one of those things that's given you a lot of good perspective and we've seen it over the course of the last few years, you've taken a very mature approach, very methodical doesn't seem that you're being overly stressed about you know you need to win it seems that it's more just about you need to make sure that all the ducks are in a row and then the results are going to take care of themselves does those early stages of your career kind of play into that
2: definitely you know i was definitely you know the guy that i'd be in the past focusing too much on i need to do this or i need to do that and like basically for myself wise um whereas now i kind of focus my and try and fuck them what all of that experience has taught I me. Mean, it's just focus my energy on where it counts. And that's through testing and working with the team and, and working over the race weekend and FB1, 2, 3, uh, well, end of 3, you're already on the limit. But uh, especially through FB1 and 2, trying to get a base setting and just get your lap times down. Because if you do all the right steps, the results will come. You know, the things will happen. It'll happen. Um, and just having that confidence in yourself, even when you're sort of working in way to just uh, chipping away at things, to see yourself in, you know, say 10th, 11th, whatever, because other guys are going to throw on tires out. Just not get nervous, don't get flustered. just trust your own way and the way you're working over the weekend. And, you know, the work you've been putting in down here, as soon as you go and you need to do it, you're not... Jumping from down here up to there you sort of work your way to here and then you've only got a little jump to do to do the lap time or to do the race pace um
0: jack this year we don't have um the the engines are frozen so there's no engine development um i mean obviously you know Gigi loves horsepower we know that he always wants to have more power and and, and the bike is is an incredibly fast bike um how does that change or how do you think that changes for you this season?
2: I'm ah, not only Gigi, I don't think he's the only one who wants horsepower. I think as a writer, you always want horsepower. It's free time in the straights, um, you know. So we're always looking to have the most we can get. And uh, thankfully, I'm in the right manufacturer and they've got the right idea too. So uh, I think we're all on the same wavelength that way. But, uh, um, you know, they're working on different aspects of things, you know, with with the restrictions they've got, I think they've done a fantastic job through the winter and doing what they can with kind of their hands tied. Let's say, um, as you said, you know, we weren't, they weren't allowed to develop uh, a new engine as KDM were or uh, really it were, but uh, we we're able to to work with the stuff we've got. And you know, I think our base package last year was was pretty damn good, and. Uh, I think just some small refining of what we got there we definitely got a competitive machine for this year
3: Um, jack listening to andrea dovizioso over the last two years it was quite clear that he had grown quite frustrated with maybe the lack of progress ducati had made with regards to the turning off the bike Um i mean for me and i'm sure for, for dave and steve as well it seems that you're maybe more accepting of what the ducati is as a moto gp machine uh, you know, you, you accept that maybe, okay, it's not the best turning bike on the grid, but it has fantastic speed and, you know, makes up in other areas. Do you think that that is quite important to, to have that mindset, just to maybe accept Ducati for what it is as a, a MotoGP machine?
2: Not only Ducati. I think um, if you look at any other manufacturer, they've all got weak points for sure. So I think it doesn't matter if you're in Ducati, Yamaha, Honda, KTM, Aprilia. You're gonna have to, or Suzuki, you're gonna have to make some exceptions to say, "Hey, my bike's perfect." You know, we're riders; we're always complaining. So, the biggest thing we can do is only focus on things that are in my control, and that's try and understand how I can make the bike work the best with the support I've got and the way the bike works. So, you try and take the big advantages out of what we've got, where we've got fantastic, uh, you know, acceleration, speed, braking's unreal. in the bike itself, I don't, you know, I've found some things with my riding and being able to, to work like that, and I don't think, you know, it is a bit harder, let's say, when you're in a dogfight or something like that with another bike and you're really trying to be nimble and agile and dive and duck, you know, duck underneath people. But in terms of all outright speed and turning, if you're on your normal lines, I think it's pretty pretty dang good.
0: Um, Jack, is this because like you say you have to accept the nature of the bike and and, and use its strengths is this something because i remember watching you just being a standard, watching you on the fdr honda it was clear that you didn't have the power and you had to use everything else to go faster is this the kind of lesson that you learned then which you you can now really use you really um, benefit from in MotoGP?
2: definitely i think um you know I, I feel like i've got a kind of a positive outlook on things and uh, you know, if you sit there and complain, you know, you know the bike's slow, the bike's slow, the bike's complain about what the bike is, you lose sight of what the bike uh, it is, you know, is doing. Um, and, you know, for me, that FCR Honda year, I'd just come off that standard Honda the year before, the Stockers Rock thing, and I was just, for me, that was like I'd had a Rolls Royce. Even though it was slow, it turned. I could get the thing to do what I wanted a bike to do. Whereas the year before, I was sort of like just hanging off the side and hoping it would go around the corner, you know, especially in some races when you get like that dry line, you couldn't even get the bloody thing to stay on the dry line because it just didn't didn't perform like the other machines did. So I was just absolutely stoked to have a bike that felt like it did when I was in the Spanish championship on a, on in a three-year with the 125s before, Um where you look and you get it to turn. So I felt like uh I, I was lucky that, you know, it could have been in the same situation where it was the year before it. There was a few other bikes out there, so I just said my target is I wanna be the best, best Honda there is out on the grid. Um I was able to do that, but also just try and tag it to the KDMs as much as I could. And if that meant, you know starving yourself, trying to get as wide as possible so I could get it to work and uh you know, hanging off the edge of it. And, you know, often more often than not, I uh, I threw myself down the road just trying to override the thing all the way to the end of the race because you had to just do everything you could do to try and not to lose a little bit of slipstream because if they broke you like two, three tenths, that coming onto the straight could turn into three, you know, nearly a, a second by the end of the straight. Whereas, uh, you know, if you came out of a corner almost running onto them, you'd, have it down the lock three tenths and you can gain that sort of back in a braking zone. So, so you just kind of have to have a positive outlook on it. I think it's racing, as I said, nothing's nobody's bike's perfect. Um, I'm sure Mark Marquez, for example, has ridden some bikes that weren't perfect over the last few years and he's still been able to. I think he's the master at the moment of making a bike that's not perfect work.
1: Just to take a jack then from back in those 2012 13 days to now. Could you have imagined the kind of resources that you have available to yourself now? Like whether it's the Panigale street bikes that you're using for track days, whether it's, you know, motocross, whatever it is, like whenever you look at yourself from being 16, 17, could you imagine having these kind of opportunities?
2: No, definitely not. I mean, no, I even said it to Tommy, the, my assistant the other day. I said, like, um, I've had my, my Volkswagen van for I think when I got that, 2016, I bought that. Um, it was the first new car I ever bought, and uh, and I've had it now since then. Now, I've done like over 100,000, so I'm looking at trying, especially with Billy hanging around and he and that, so I'm going to go to the bigger van now. And I said, it's going to be a sad day when I get rid of that van uh, because, you know, that was, when I moved to Europe, that was all I dreamed about getting was a van that I could put my motorcross bike in and go and ride it, put a bike in and go and ride it. You know, I remember the day I got it. It was like a dream come true. And now to to have all these resources, like I say, with the street bike, the motorbike, bike. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate in that aspect. And like even speaking to the younger kids, you know, with Ducati, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of younger guys uh, coming in this year. And we went and did that event, and uh, you know, a couple of the boys said some things about you know brakes and this and that and the other. And I said, listen, boys, you don't how lucky you are. I mean, I had to wait, you know, nearly two years before I could even get a street. Well, actually, I actually had to wait. didn't get one with Honda and I had to wait until I think the third year or second year in uh, Ducati before I got one. So don't worry about brakes, boys. So when we first got these things, you know, we've we've done all the research and development, know what's going to go wrong. And, you now you guys are getting this ultimate package that you can get on and just go and ride. Whereas we've gone there and, you know, had to be bush mechanics and things up to, to make it work and, you know, spending spending uh, a lot of your own money on, on, on that sort of stuff. And, you know, I say you always just don't take this lightly. You know, it's a big thing these girls are giving you. So enjoy.
3: Uh, Jack, just a final question. I have to put you on the spot. Um, I mean, is this... Are you aiming for the championship this year? Is that what is in your, in your sights or...
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I don't want to be too cocky, but I mean, that's what we're, we're doing here. I think that's what's expected of me. You know, um, last year, through one way or another, it just wasn't our year. Um, we were strong throughout most of the season. We had, for sure, we had our off weekends, but uh, we were strong throughout most most of the season. We had a little bit of bad luck. I, I made some mistakes, but, uh, you know, we finished, what, seventh in the championship, but I think seven points off third and uh we had far too many dns for my liking whether it be through tear-offs or t-bones or me crashing or bike breaking so uh we had our share of bad luck last year so hopefully we can turn that round. and i think uh you know the the group over here i think everyone's pretty keen and and uh very motivated highly motivated for this season so uh that's definitely the goal um, we just keep our feet on the ground and take it one race at a time and we'll see, you know, the first my first goal was definitely, you know, close on a few occasions last season to uh to get my first drive victory, but uh was snatched away from me a couple of times. So um definitely want to tick that one off the back, off the list this year and uh and yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh definitely, you know, that's what I've been training for. That's what I've been mentally preparing for is hopefully a championship fight.
1: Yeah, we're all excited to see how the season plays out, Jack. And uh, certainly it's a golden era of MotoGP and uh, we've had plenty of fast Aussies on factory Ducatis over the years. And hopefully this is another one where uh, we're able to really see it get to the the forefront.
2: Thank you, yeah. No, like you said, it definitely is the golden era. I mean, uh, to have these satellite bikes there, to have all the guys on the factory bikes there. I mean, uh, just seeing, you know, none of us have ridden, or apart from a couple of the guys, you know, test riders, haven't ridden. And uh, we all get out on the track and I think, you know, I feel bad for some of these rookies because coming in, you know, they're doing quick lap times and they're down in the bottom of the, you know, down the bottom half of the the, timing sheet and you're like, man, everybody is just going so fast these days. It's, uh, it's nuts. So uh, an awesome time to be a writer, an awesome time to be a fan and uh, hopefully this season doesn't disappoint.
0: Jack, who's going to finish second behind you in the championship? <laughs> <laughs>
2: i got no idea. We're uh, going to let the first lights go out first and then I'll be able to tell you (laughs) something more. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Jack. Yeah, something (laughs) tells me, Jack, you probably don't really care too much if that was how it played out. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) big thanks for joining us on the pod.
2: (laughs) All right, boys. Cheers, eh?
0: Fly Racing believes that our most important obligation is to provide the highest performing products to riders worldwide. Offering both on- and off-road products for every price range, Fly Racing is committed to reshaping expectations. Fly Racing revolutionized the off-road world with the Formula Helmet, featuring Rion technology. Visit flyracing.com and at flyracingusa on Instagram to learn more about the innovation that can keep you protected in 2021.
1: David, it was always interesting whenever you talk to writers about, you know, where their mental state is during the course of different parts of their career. This is obviously a massive season for Jack. But speaking to him, you wouldn't really know it. He's very relaxed, he's very matter of fact. He's not trying to put any undue pressure on himself.
0: No, I mean, I, I genuinely think that the he is going to uh, benefit from the fruits of uh, all that hard work which he had in those years. I mean, like I said in the um, uh, in the interview, uh, I, I was remember just being absolutely gobsmacked watching what he could do on that FTR Honda using every single. Um, extracting every single ounce of performance out of the bike, which was clearly underpowered compared to the KTM's, um, and th- those lessons, all those lessons through his career, you know, racing on a on a standard bike against the, against faster bikes. It's, um, uh, it teaches you all the things you need to win a championship to to, to actually be competitive no matter what the conditions. Um, and as we were saying earlier, his maturity through the years has changed. He's become a better, more rounded person, and more comfortable with himself, really comfortable within the team. Um, this is definitely his year. It's the year that he has to perform, but it's also... Um, a year where I think he's going to be capable of performing.
1: Yeah, and I think it's always interesting whenever you look at how those riders have come through. And you mentioned it, Dave, that year in uh, 2012 on the Honda and then going to Racing Team Germany. And then obviously that was when Jack really seemed to make that big step forward. He talked about, you know, working with a good crew chief. That really did help elevate his performance. And I remember going to Qatar in 2014 and, and I did an interview with Jack, I think it was on the Friday night in Qatar that year. And he was talking in terms of very much the same way he's talking about this season coming up. He knows that it's an opportunity, but he also knows that he's come through an awful lot up to this point. Now's the time to really enjoy all the work that he's put in. And that was the kind of approach that he took into 2014. And obviously he was beaten to the Moto3 World Championship that year by Alex Marquez but he won a lot of races he was very competitive all the way through the season and you're not going to be surprised if the same kind of thing happens this season
0: yeah exactly I mean in the list of uh, people to beat if you want to win the championship then Jack Miller is one of the names right at the top um Uh, whether he went, you know, winning the championship is never easy. Winning a championship is always, always complicated. Um, But uh, he has, he's going to be the danger man at, uh, you know, every single race. Uh, He's going to be the danger man in the championship. Um, He really is, uh, you know, one to watch for the championship this year.
1: Yeah. I think for me, I'd love to see Jack able to get that dry weather win that he was talking about as well, because he's put in the work and, you know, We know that MotoGP is competitive. We know it's a tough, tough gig at the moment. We know that it's been harder than ever to win races. But you're a factory Ducati rider. That bike's going to give you opportunities. And we know that Jack's been close and he's knocked on the door plenty of times in, in the past few seasons. So hopefully he's able to get across that line because it's good for the championship, Dave, whenever we've got fast riders from different countries winning races. It's good for the championship whenever you've got a rider like Jack, a personality like Jack, able to win races as well
0: yeah absolutely i mean it's fantastic for the for, for the championship to have you know a, a nice wide range of of riders in the championship and a, a, a range of uh, nationalities personalities factories uh, capable of actually you know winning races and and, and being uh, being competitive so that's really important and also i think for jack especially and also for Pecco, who we'll talk about in a moment um winning a race is, is a really really big thing you really saw that with franco morbidelli once he got his first win under the belt it made a huge huge difference to him and um he there, there's a change that comes over a rider once they once they've won a won a dry race uh, winning a dry race is a really really big thing it was the same with Alex Marquez when he got his first he got his podium in the, in the wet at Le Mans which was impressive then he got that fantastic podium in um, uh, at Aragon in the dry and there's a change that comes over riders that when they understand okay this is what it needs this is what I am capable of uh, now uh, let's take the next step now I can do this so I can repeat it
1: yeah, and uh, obviously, we're going to get the chance to hear from Peko as well. And uh, we talked to Peko literally as he was just going out to get into his leathers before the first day of the second test in Qatar. So we've got 15 minutes with Peko. And it was interesting to chat to him as well, Dave, because Peko's always a, a good character. We've seen him come through the ranks, and he's another rider like Jack that's gone through the hard times. He didn't come in with a silver spoon, he had to work hard
0: yeah exactly I mean uh, he, he um, it was obvious that he was a, uh, a fast uh, a, a fast rider I, again uh, the hard times he was one of the riders who was competitive on a Mahindra and the, the, the Mahindra was like the FTR Honda um, if you could it, it was a bike which needed something from the rider to be competitive it wasn't you know just competitive straight out of the box uh, and Peko learned some really really important lessons there and um, uh Eventually, you know, through the uh, VR46 Academy, that's what's brought him all the way up into MotoGP. Um, uh, also, Ducati has had an eye on um, uh, on Pekka for um, for a very long time because I remember reading a story in the Gazzetta dello Sport. I think in. Uh, 2018, January 2018, that Pecco had already signed a uh, uh, signed a contract with Ducati before they even started the season. So yeah, this is this is a rider who Ducati have really, really been interested in. And he he struggled a bit in his in his first year, but he made sort of big step forward in his uh, in, in his second year.
1: Yeah, you can go back even further than that. Whenever he was on the Mahindra, he was actually given a Ducati test. Well, not a test, but a few laps on the Aspar Ducati. He was obviously racing the Aspar Mahindra at that stage and he managed to get a few laps at the end of one of the Valencia tests. And And he looked good on it. kept him on the radar. He looked good on it. He looked adapted very quickly to it. And, you know, talent's not a question for most of these writers, they're all super talents. It just comes down to being able to put in the hard work, that dedication factor that we talked about with Jack, just having that right attitude. And in fairness, David, understanding that there's people that are better than you. And yeah. that was one of the the things that uh, that you wanted to ask Peko as well.
0: Uh, yeah exactly i mean it, it's about how you improve you know it's about seeing the opportunities that you have seeing what you can do and uh, trying to exploit that and, and minimize the weaknesses it really is um one of the most fascinating things about you know mo- motorcycle racing as a sport is it's it needs everything there's not sort of one thing you need to be able to do really really well you need to do lots of different things there's lots of different aspects um uh, about how how you go faster and how you learn to go faster also given the given the very very limited time that you actually get on a bike um on a on a proper motor gp bike so you have to invent ways to learn the skills where you know that you're weak
1: yeah well let's hear from the man himself peckle bagnaya peckle bagnaya joining us on the paddock pass podcast and uh Peko, this is our first opportunity to really talk to you as a factory ducati rider it's a big transition for you
4: for sure um Riding on a completely red bike uh, has always been my, my dream and now that uh, this dream is possible. So I'm very happy to to use these colors.
1: And obviously, Paco, the big opportunity for an Italian at uh, Ducati, there's always a lot of pressure that comes with that. But it's also a time where Ducati's got a lot of change. There's a lot of young riders coming through. It's also a very exciting time for you. For sure.
4: And... Um this pressure
1: that uh, you are mean, um, you fa- you felt it. I, I
4: felt it because, uh, um, in the first day or, uh, working like a factory rider, like, uh, in the factory team, uh, was the pressure was higher and I feel it, but it's something that, uh, is possible to manage. And, and uh, it's very important to remain in concentrate and uh, thinking just on uh, improving the bike. for for having the best setup and the best way to work uh, to start in the season.
0: Obviously, uh, 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 Christian came with you um, and Ducati said they want to keep your crew chief and your data engineer. They want to keep that uh, group together whenever you move up. How important is that to you?
4: It's really important because with Christian, I'm feeling really good. Uh, Our relationship is is very important for me and... um, I trust in him uh, so much, so it's something that I re- really needed uh, when I moved to the factory team. And um, I think that for the, I think that for riders having uh, this type of relationship with uh, your uh, crew chief is uh, more important than uh, than uh, than other things. So I really like it this this opportunity that uh, Ducati gave to me. Two moves uh, with my crew chief, and uh, it's something really, really important for me because I, I prefer to have uh, uh, a relationship like this and restart again.
1: Just in relation to that, Peko, is it most important because you can build that relationship over many years, or because when you move to a new team, your crew chief already understands how you give your feedback, how you explain yourself?
4: Um, For sure, is uh, really important for the relationship. But also because uh, Christian already know what I need on, from the bike, and uh, if I was uh, with a new field chief, for sure I had to restart again. And uh, in a year like this, it's very, it's more difficult because you have less time. You have less time to to improve that type of things. But uh, with Christian, I feel very, very good, good uh, from uh, from the the start of our relationship, and I would like to continue with him like. Uh, like uh, always because I'm feeling very good with
0: it. Uh, also, you said, you know, you, you, in a year like this, you have less time. Last year, for example, you also had, you didn't have very much time. You had to be, um, you know, we didn't know how long the season was going to be. Do you feel that you lost out a little bit because it was such a short season in just your second season in MotoGP?
4: Maybe yes, but also for the conditions that uh, we had in the, last, in the second part of the season because... Uh, uh, were so cold and, uh, was very difficult for me to warm in the front tire and I crashed a lot of times. And, uh, my feeling with uh, the bike was, I was losing the feeling with the bike, uh, after, uh, after the Valencia, no, after the um, the racing Le Mans. But, um, I think that this year will be better because the condition, uh, will be, will be a normal season. And, uh, we will have a hot temperature always, and the less uh, when we will find a, a colder temperature will be hotter than the year So, for sure, uh, it's better for me and for my registrar.
0: The, I mean, your development the, the first year in MotoGP was you had sort of occasionally good results and sometimes not so good results, and it felt like you made quite a step last year. Um, do you think you can make a similar step this year? And, and what was the step that you made?
4: For sure, from, uh, from the first year, um, I make a, a really great step in front because the first year I was struggling a lot uh, with the braking, and uh, I have worked a lot to adapt my riding style on this bike. And last year, I I managed to 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 do it, but uh, sometimes I was struggling too much. So I worked a lot this winter. Uh, with uh, other bikes but uh, i work to to close this gap that i had compared to uh, jack of uh, last year and uh, i try to to be more close to him when uh, the condition will be worse and uh, i think that I, I make a good work so uh, i think that this year we make another step in front because i'm I know better the bike, and I know better the situation, the tires. So I will try it, and uh, I'm trying to work in a different way compared to last year, also in this test.
0: Can you explain how you to, you you work something like that on a different bike? Because it's a totally different bike. The brakes feel different. Everything feels different, and yet you're trying to tr- to to teach yourself to do something. How do you do that?
4: Yeah, we make. Uh, two tests, two training with the Panigale in 4S, and the condition was uh, difficult because it was cold and uh, windy, so I tried just to entry on track and push from the pit lane exit to warming the front tire, and uh, in the first lap, every time I was very competitive, so uh, it's a different thing completely, but uh, it was the only way to try to try this, uh, this improvement, so it's something that I work on and uh, I think that uh, I make a good work. But now let's wait uh, some critical condition to 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 see if I really make a, a step or not.
1: Paco, one of the things that Jack said to us was that for a young rider to come into MotoGP at the moment is very difficult because you come from Moto2, Moto3 where riders are competitive at the front and then suddenly they go into the most competitive field imaginable. And instead of running at the front of the field, you know, you're know you a second off the pace, but at the back of the field. I just want to know how tough it is to get used to this, to adapt to this for a rider and then to make your progress.
4: My biggest um, uh, difficult was uh, to arrive in MotoGP and see riders like Valentino, uh, riders like Jorge, uh, Markets the top riders that uh, you ever seen in television and uh, uh, being tr- on track with them uh, has been very difficult for me to to considering me a MotoGP rider. But then uh, when I understand that thing uh, was uh, a bit easier uh, and and I was more concentrated. But um, but also I think for the rookies it will be harder for uh, the less day track uh, on, tra- on track less day on track that uh, they yet. Because when I moved to MotoGP, I had tests in Valencian, Carets in November and then uh, three days in Malaysia and three days in, uh, in Qatar. So, so much more than, uh, than, uh, than them. And uh, also starting with um, a Ducati MotoGP is a bit more difficult because you have to understand very fast the riding style. Uh, that you had to, to use with that uh, Ducati that uh, is for sure different compared to uh, moto 2 style. So um, will be more difficult for them, but uh, in any case, um, I think that for everybody it will be different and uh, we will see uh, which one will, uh, will make it uh, faster and better.
0: You say you, were the, the, you remember the first time being on track with uh, Valentino, with Mark Marquez, with uh, Lorenzo? Obviously, we know you watch the sessions. You watch a lot of video to to, to watch riders, as and you're trying to learn from them. But uh, what do you learn when you're actually riding with them? When you're following them, riding near them, and do you learn more or less?
4: Uh, I remember that the, the first time I was uh, riding with uh, in Malaysia, I, I was that I've seen closely, and other rider was Vignales. in uh, in the second day of testing in Malaysia. And uh, I was seeing how much they can turn in with the bike. That uh, with a Moto 2 was different, different because uh, mm-hmm. uh, the power was less, so turning with gas was uh, more difficult. And uh, I've seen with that Vinales was turning a lot. I was th- I was thinking in my head uh, that uh, every time I was asked, I was um, hearing that the Ducati was turning less than uh, other bikes. And uh, I've seen Vinales uh, doing that uh, that things, and I was saying, "Fuck it, that, uh, that is true." <laughs> but then, when I learned how to make it, uh, was not so so big this difference.
0: Yeah, but, but you only learn that by being so close and actually seeing how they're doing it.
4: Yeah, you can you can see a lot of videos, uh, but uh, you learn more on track when uh, you are behind them and. Uh, and uh, you follow closely another rider, you will uh, learn more for sure because uh, you are them in front of you and uh, you can uh, follow them better than, than on a video.
1: Obviously, Paco as well, this year yourself and Jack both move on to the factory bike. Is that a positive for you? Because you already know how you compare to Jack. You've looked at his data for two years. You know his strengths. You know your strengths. It's not uh, the same as if you are in a completely new situation.
4: For me, it's um, a great story no? to move with uh, Jack on the factory team. Because we, had, uh, we have a good relationship. And uh, we, know, we know quite well uh, from uh, 2019. So I'm happy to be with him and uh, to see that uh, his um, um, his Friday style is different comp- uh, compared to my one. But uh, what we are asking uh, to Ducati is very close. So this is very important for the development and uh, is something that uh, is good for uh, for us for sure.
0: What's the objective this season? Uh, I mean, you, you must want to win a race and fight for the championship. But what do you think is uh, what do you think is possible?
4: For me, when you are in a factory team like uh, this one, the objective is for sure to win a championship. But for me, is uh, a bit different because uh, first of all, I really had to to win my first race in MotoGP and uh, to be more constant during all the season. And I think if uh, we will we work uh, well, like uh, we know how to do, for sure it will be very important to uh, remain constant and fighting for uh, the top five, top three position for all the season to be constant and to see what will happen uh, at the finish of the season.
1: Peckle, just one last question from, from, from us on the pod before you. You obviously have to get out on track in Qatar now for the test. But uh, I wanted to ask you one question just about the young Italian riders coming through. Because I remember when you were younger, there was the Italian Federation team. The likes of Finati came through that team. But then suddenly Valentino came in with his rider academy and suddenly we had all of these young riders from Italy all being able to, to come through that academy. I just wanted to ask you about the impact that that's made on, on your career.
4: What ca- I can say is that uh, if uh, the academy was not here, I think that at the moment I was not here uh, on MotoGP, in MotoGP in the factory team Ducati because uh, in 2013 I was struggling a lot uh, with the um, team in Italia. Uh, I was always uh, from P16 to P20 uh, and it was very difficult to, to make something with uh, this type of bikes, this type of uh, team. So um, when the academy arrived to me and uh, I started, Working with them, I I feel that I was making a a big step every day in front. And um, but the first win ever, ride uh, the first podium win, uh, the title of rookie in uh, Moto2, the World Championship title. So uh, with the academy, I make a great step in front. And uh, like we have seen, uh, all the riders in the academy are making good good results. And uh, we are already three riders in MotoGP and uh, Marco Bezzecchi uh, is uh, the first contender to be the championship in Moto2. So I think that the academy are making a really, really good, good work and uh, staying together every day is something that uh, pushes us to to improve every day.
1: Okay, thanks for joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast, Paco, and best of luck for the season. Thank you. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. Dave, really good to hear from both Peko Bagnaya and Jack Miller about their prospects for this year. Bit of a Ducati special for us here on the Paddock Pass podcast, but it, they're going to be a really interesting story all the way through the season, and I think it was it was nice of Peko as well whenever he said that it's nice that the story finishes or the story continues between himself and Jack Miller. 2019, Peko came in as a rookie at Pramac, and then suddenly 2021, both of them move on to the factory seats. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's um, stability is so important in racing. It's like uh, Pekka was saying about, you know, sticking with Christian Gabrini, his crew chief. Um, uh, he, he has his data engineer with him as well, and that is so important to – that that unit is really important. Having the same, te- uh, the, the, the same teammate is, is important just because, you know, you know what you've got. You know what's on the other side of the garage. You also know how they're going to react. You know their good points. You know they get bad points. You know when they're going to – Uh, try and psych you out when they're um, and when they're going to ignore you and when they're going to be friendly to you it's you know nothing unexpected and and racing is all about um, the engineering aspect of of racing is all about eliminating as many variables as possible uh, and changing one thing at a time and moving two riders up into the factory team at the same time Um, uh, known quantities with known engineers Uh, uh, they know each other they know the environment they already know a lot of the Ducati uh, structure just because there are already uh, the, the, the way that the Pramac team works is that there's, there's so much sort of interchange between the teams um, It, it may, it's a really strong platform to launch a championship bid from
1: Yeah and uh, David obviously for Ducati as well this is a massive season for them we know that they've ditched Andrea Davizioso the rider that's been a championship contender for them won a lot of races they've brought in the two pramac riders from last year onto the factory seats arco comes onto a pramac bike they've got three rookies like this is this is a gamble no matter what way ducati want to play it yeah
0: oh yes yes yeah absolutely i mean they are they are all in on youth they are gambling on young riders uh, like i said before you see it with bastianini marini uh, Martin all coming in uh, young riders to uh, fill the uh, the other seats i think the oldest uh, rider um in Ducati right now is uh, Joan Zarco i think I'd, i remember vaguely doing some uh doing some maths and i think the 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 age um the age difference the combined age difference of the factory Ducati dream uh, team has dropped by something like 17 years which is um Uh, fairly insane so yeah they've made their choices their choice is to go young is to you know look for young riders to try to uh uh, to try to win the championship Uh, with the added bonus of joan Zarco on the uh, in the pramac team who is going to be taking over like their that that lead rider role inside the pramac team to uh, you know he's going to get all the all the stuff to test he's going to get all the bits and pieces to um that they're not quite 100% sure of um, and it, he's going to be a factor as well he's he's already shown a, a, a decent turn of pace on that ducati so yeah it's uh it's it's going to be interesting
1: Yeah, and David, on on our Patreon page, we've got a new show. Basically, every week we're going to just talk about a different topic in MotoGP. And this week on Paddock Pass Podcast Extra, we talked about the MotoGP rookies. And uh, obviously you have discounted Lorenzo Salvadori as a rookie, but uh, when we look at the three Ducati rookies, this is a Ducati show. So uh, I'm letting you off the hook on it this week, Dave, but we can look at uh, the three Ducati rookies and the challenge that they face as well. If you just give everyone a little bit of what your thoughts are on the three Ducati rookies.
0: Yeah, I mean, like there are... Three rookies. There's um, uh, air Bastianini, Jorge Martin, and um, Luca Marini. Uh, obviously, Jorge Martin was the first rider to be signed by uh, Ducati, and uh, has gone into the Pramac team, which means he's on the latest bike. Um, uh, and they're three sort of very different characters. air Bastianini, the the way that he adapted to a Moto2 bike was really quite mind-boggling he was really really fast um uh i've heard other people also i mean he's really hotly fancied inside the champ inside the championship um he is a real raw talent um luca marini is you know a bit more of a diesel slow to get up to speed but a, a, a real thinker jorge martini's your, your typical sort of motor gp bar rider who sort of goes in between so it's going to be interesting to see you know where they where they end up
1: Yeah, and uh, obviously, if you want to have the chance to listen to Dave and also Neil talking in depth about those MotoGP rookies, you can go to patreon.com forward slash paddockpasspodcast, and for as little as $3 a month, you're able to get that sort of additional content. And uh, David, just before we sign off, what's your bottom dollar expectation for Ducati this season?
0: I mean, well, like I say, uh, uh, Jack Miller has to win at least one dry race, um, uh, uh, preferably more. Uh, Pekka Banyai has to look like he uh, can win a race. Um, And uh, uh, I think Jack Miller has to finish sort of top three, four in the championship, probably top three in the championship, um, and look like he is in with a chance of actually winning it for as long as possible you know right up until we get to the flyaways if we actually go to the flyaways um uh, and i mean i wouldn't say he's the favorite to to win because i don't th- i'm not really sure i mean apart from mark marquez if mark marquez comes back fit then mark marquez is the, is the favorite um but you know jack miller is in with uh, Joanne mir uh, uh, Franco Morbidelli, um, you know who knows? Maybe Fabio Quartararo, if he can get his head straight, um, uh, he's in there with those riders who are expected to to, uh, to win the championship, who are among that group of favourites of the uh, of the championship. So yeah. I think expectations are high and it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, as I asked, uh, uh Jack in the, um, uh, in the interview, um, Gigi Deligne can't change the engine this year. You know, he can't find more horsepower um that's been what he's doing that's what been what he's done sort of every year that he's been in uh, in ducati so it's gonna be interesting to see how he solves that sort of particular conundrum um how he finds more um competitiveness for the bike um and i I think he's got the right riders in place to actually exploit the best uh, the the best out of the bike
1: yeah and i think uh, expectations are high but they're deservedly high Ducati's put in an awful lot into this project they've won a lot of races in the past I think for me I'd certainly be surprised if Jack doesn't win a race this year if not multiple races and I think he could win very early in the season as well because we know that Ducati's very strong in Qatar we know it's got that long straight it's always been a, a happy hunting ground for Ducati over the years so certainly I wouldn't be surprised to see Jack get off to a very fast start this season he seems like he's got all the the right mental box is being ticked at the moment we we talked to him during the first Qatar test where he talked in terms of you know i could have put on a new tire low fuel gone for a fast time but what's the point? I don't need to do that. I need to be able to work towards the start of the season. There's no points given for the Winter World Championship. And I think that kind of attitude is going to stand Jack in good, in good stead. And I think as long as he's able to take that going forward, I think he's going to be very strong all the way through the season. And I'm excited for the season to start because there's there's a storyline for all the manufacturers. I think is going to be an interesting one to follow. The rookies are going to be very interesting. You know, if Zarko does really well on the Ducati. We're going to hear everyone talk about, oh, Honda should really have kept him whenever they had the chance and, and these kind of things. There's an awful lot of interesting stories in and around uh, the Ducati team. And obviously we're going to get into that in our season preview as well that'll come out the week of the Qatari Grand Prix. But there's just so much to talk about within MotoGP at the moment. And that's why it's, it's quite good for us, David, to be able to get these extra shows out and uh, just in the lead up to the season, we've obviously had Brad Binder from KTM. We've got this show now as well. And uh, then our season previews as well. So it's, it you know, it's this time of year when we all remember why we were desperately keen to work in the MotoGP paddock, why we were desperately keen to get into racing. And, you know, I think even just talking to Jack, that's what was quite good about listening to him talk, David, just about the fact that whenever he was given these Ducati street bikes to use as test bikes, practice bikes, you know, he didn't take any of that for granted. And we shouldn't take it for granted that MotoGP is as good as it is right now because we've looked at it whenever it was in the doldrums. We've looked at it whenever it was a struggle. And suddenly you look at it now and the field is so tight. The riders are so good. The bikes are so good. There's there's basically optimism for everyone. Even you know, with the opening tests of the year, we've seen all the manufacturers have some reason to think that this year could uh, could be a good year for them.
0: Yeah, well, you're talking to someone who started his MotoGP career writing about the 800cc MotoGP bikes, Steve, so I know, um, uh, uh, to me, the the difference in the level of competitiveness is uh, really quite poignant indeed. Um like you know I started writing about MotoGP 2006 fantastic year uh and then the 800s came uh, 2007 um and then the financial crisis came 2008 and there were no bikes on the grid and they weren't very competitive and there was only sort of you know every uh, every race you only know, you really needed to speak to five riders because they were the only ones that, who mattered right now look at them 22 riders who could win on any given weekend I mean on any given weekend there's probably 15 or 16 who could win, and the rest could easily get a podium. So it's, I mean, it is, it's insane. It is genuinely bonkers just how good and strong and competitive the field is right
1: now. Yeah. And I think you see that whenever you look at the chronological analysis after a race, just how consistent everyone is. This isn't what it was like. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever era you want to look at as the golden era of of grand prix racing, you can look at different segments and say like, "Oh, that was great because the battle at the front was amazing, but this is the most competitive field we've ever had." And that's why it's it's so much fun for us to cover it and you know, we're going to continue turning out podcast all the way through the year Dave and uh, we're definitely going to have an awful lot to talk about uh
0: well yeah I mean basically there's just not going to be enough time in the day to um uh, uh talk about MotoGP and write about MotoGP and think about MotoGP and uh, the, you know even, even with a normal season like last year was uh, was just because it's so compressed but this year even with a normal se- se- uh, season there is so much going on that we're not gonna have time enough to deal with it all
1: uh, well, we'll better keep this podcast as short as we can, so we'll <laughs> sign off from uh, this Ducati special Paddock Pass podcast. And a uh, big thank you to Ducati, Jack Miller and Pekabag Naya for joining us on the podcast. Big thank you to David Emmett as well. And obviously Neil joined us for the interview, but... Uh, you know, it's, it's busy times for everyone and uh, we're just gearing up for the start of the season. So uh, make sure to get your predictions in for what you think Ducati are going to be able to do. You can drop us a tweet at Paddock Pass Pod and you can also support us at patreon.com forward slash paddockpass Podcast, where for as little as $3 a month, you can get lots of additional content through the course of the year. This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast
0: was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com.